Welcome to episode 124 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Lovin. Today we caught up with Jeremy Goldberg. He's a designer on Messenger at Facebook. We have worked together a bit. and We've done a couple episodes with him before. He's been on the show. Go back and listen to those. But today we dig into Jeremy's thoughts on bots, critique, process, collaboration, lots of really good meaty topics. But before we get into them, two things. First, our t-shirts are almost at the end of the the period where you can buy them. So there are very few days left. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to grab a t-shirt. So if you want a design details t-shirt, check us out. Uh, we'll have the link on our Twitter or in the show notes. Cotton Bureau. Uh, yeah, they're on Cotton Bureau. Uh, we're not taking any profit from them. So if you buy it, it's literally... They're just so people can have cool t-shirts because yeah. we think they're cool. Yeah, I think they're, they're pretty chill. Second, we want to thank our two sponsors for making this episode possible. First sponsor this week, FreshBooks. FreshBooks is a ridiculously easy to use app, uh, software designed to help creative people get organized, save time, get paid faster. It's an invoicing tool. It's an online payment tool. It will track your time and remind you when you're due to get paid from clients. You can file expenses. You can send invoices. You can manage your cash flow. Really, really amazing tools, and it's incredibly easy to use. I actually used FreshBooks back in college when I was freelancing. Uh, so easy to use. Uh, generates really beautiful invoices. The time tracking is great. You can see where you're spending times and which apps calculate exactly how that uh, equates to the money that you need to build a client and send an invoice straight from there. If clients ever forget to pay you, FreshBooks handles the awkwardness. Uh, Chasing. Yeah. Chasing is a great feature. They'll uh, do customizable late payment reminders that go out automatically. They can help you manage expenses by importing them directly from your bank account. So everything is just handled in the background. Uh, if you have a business debit card or anything like that, the transactions will just magically show up as expenses. So you have all of your accounting, all of your monies, all viewable from one place. You can really see how your business is going. If you're freelancing or trying to run any sort of business, it is amazing. And we are so happy to have them as sponsors. To learn more, go to freshbooks.com slash design details. And then in the how did you hear about us section, just enter design details. That'll get you a free month trial on FreshBooks. Go check them out, freshbooks.com slash design details. Thanks so much once again to FreshBooks for helping all of us do great work. And our second sponsor is Dropbox, who is also focused entirely on helping us all do great work. This is a, this is a great sponsor mashup. It's like a collaborative effort. Uh, <laughs> Dropbox is the simplest way to work the way you want. You know this. You love them. I would I would hope so. I would hope you've tried them out. And if you have, you do love them because they are the best. Uh, Dropbox is the simplest way to work the way you want. Whether you're sketching, coding, prototyping, podcasting, writing, whatever you want to do, it works really great. If you do it on a computer, have it backed by Dropbox. It's really awesome. It works with any kind of file, so you're free to choose the tools you need for every project. Use whatever works best for you. You don't have to worry about what's going to work well with like its own syncing tool or anything like that. Like You don't need a creative cloud or any of that shit. It just works with whatever thing you're using. It's wonderful. Uh, when you're ready for feedback, you can send large files to anyone fast, and their commenting feature gives people a central place to post their thoughts right in line. So that way, conversation is going to happen right alongside the work itself. It really makes communication and collaboration so much better. Sharing across teams on Dropbox is super, super easy. You just send a link. You don't have to worry about uploading and downloading all over. You just save it to your file system. It'll upload automatically for you, and then you just send a link to it. It's really wonderful. You can use media players in line. You can get file previews in line, and then you can just keep track of the comments and feedback right alongside them. So we can't thank Dropbox enough, not only for sponsoring us, but also for making our daily lives a lot easier. So thank you to Dropbox. Go check them out at dropbox.com and get started. And with that, let's get into episode 124 with Jeremy Goldberg. Um, my name is Jeremy. I'm a product designer at Facebook. Um, I've been working on business platform and AI on Messenger. A, what does that even it's a mean? Mouthful. It kind of rolls off the tongue, <laughs> though. Um, so we're we're working on uh, creating meaningful relationships between people and businesses uh, on Messenger. It's a really fun project, and I've been working on it for almost a year and a half. So you're putting bots in between people. That <laughs> meaningful. Yeah, we uh, we just announced bots at F8, which is our developer conference, which was a great project to work on, and we'll obviously be con- continue working on. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it started, uh, 
about a year and a half ago. And um, a lot of the things that we do on Messenger, especially in this space with businesses, typically derives from the interactions that are already happening with people on Messenger. So, you know, there's a lot of people on Messenger and we have all this, all these rich interactions happening. Um, people have great expression tools and um, all this organic communication. Um, but the, the thing that people don't really know is that there's a ton of this organic uh, interaction happening between people and business. And just to throw a crazy stat out there, there's there's actually a billion messages sent between people and businesses every month on Messenger, um, which is a lot. And um, so over the last year and a half, we've been experimenting and bringing more businesses onto the platform to see how we can take these organic interactions that are already happening and make them a lot better and to give tools to both businesses and to consumers. Um, so last year, we uh, we brought a few businesses on like Everlane and Zulily, and um, we've continued to bring more on. We worked on transportation, bringing Uber and Lyft and recently airlines. And all of that was kind of leading up towards, you know, learning, experimenting, understanding, um, ad- identifying uh, the things that we could do well and kind of upgrading the text message and upgrading these experiences to be self-serve so that businesses of all sizes, small businesses, large businesses, people creating businesses in Asia um, and developers, of course, can start to build um, these own, their own experiences using tools that we're providing. And so we, we found that we could take the text message. We could make it more interactive by providing like buttons and other things on it. And we can take responsiveness, um, which is typically slow because you're chatting with real people um, and scaling that is really hard. And we made it you know, instant by providing an API so it can be uh, automated. You're talking about bots at this we're, point. At this point, we're talking about bots. Yeah. But but we've been working on these tools, mm-hmm. both interactive and instant, um, to, to make these interactions a lot better. Um, Question. Yeah. Everyone's talking about bots. F8 bots was the buzzword. Uh, why bots? Why is that better than encouraging the business to actually hire people to personally handle all those messages. Yeah, I mean, well, I think it goes back to to kind of what I said around taking the interactions that are already already happening and making them better. And there's there's a lot of channels that businesses already have for communication, right? And there's a lot of ways that you communicate with the business. But at a almost philosophical level, like a bot is different, not better. <laughs> that's an opinion. Botter. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's hard. Yeah, right. So, well, How do you get a, the experience of interacting with a bot to be the same as? Well, there's not many good customer support experiences, or there's not very many good automated communication experiences, right? Yeah, it's a really challenging space to work in because there's there's so many things going on and so many uh, needs mm-hmm. from different types of use cases. Uh, and it's really important to understand the use cases that you're building for. I, mean, I think we approach the problem a little differently. We don't think about bots as like a command line. It's definitely too technical for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't um, use things like slashes and stuff like that to to call these things up and and, and interact with them. Nice day, and, <laughs> and uh, we we prefer to um, to make it more uh, more natural and just use UI and and conversational cues and whatnot. But the other thing that we've done differently is uh, a lot of this is about your intent, and so we have um, all these entry points, and a lot of them live outside of Messenger. These plugins that you can use on your website or in emails or wherever. And when someone is going to shop on a website or wh- whatever they're doing, they already have intent to do something. And we can bring them into Messenger so that they can do those things there. And we can start to move a lot of the communication you're having um, in emails or SMS and, and bring that into Messenger for these better experiences. So that's part of it. And allowing developers and and businesses to start to create these experiences is pretty interesting to watch. Um, I do have like a in, like my own perspective on where I see like how I see it kind of evolving. That's what I want to know. Yeah, stop giving us the company line. <laughs> does this sound what really? You, does this sound super like? What do you corporate-y? think? That's just your voice. But. Uh, <laughs> no, I actually believe that stuff though. I probably talked about this on the last the last time I was on. I really love this like 
this idea of of making um, technology super frictionless to the point where it's you know something like her, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like obsessed with this. We talked about her quite a we, bit. We did. I'm like one, yeah. really. I I love this concept because it's so natural. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to just go from where we are today with UI and um, you know complex interfaces to that. It doesn't just jump there, right? Let's make UI so frictionless that it abandons you. <laughs> I don't think you can jump there. It falls Spoilers. <laughs> um, you know, as we start to build more conversational interfaces, that that's kind of the the next step towards getting there. And it's Scarlett not Johansson voice acting it. <laughs> can we all have a Scarlet in our heads? Um, but it's not just the necessarily like the conversational aspect of it. A lot of it is around the logic and how personal you can be and removing a lot of things so that the thing you're doing is really, really focused. You know, you're just, you're interacting with the the right thing at the right time. And um, eventually uh, I really think that this will lead into experiences that are, that are supernatural but um, to use. The hard problem seems to be you have to solve for human thought processes and humans are anything. If- yes. Not illogical. <laughs> yeah, it's really tough um, because it's it's really hard to yeah. guess intent. Mm-hmm. But it's cool because as people use these things, they'll get smarter. Um, AI, I think, is really important in this space. And we have a lot of tools for that as well. And the intent of what you're doing, which we're trying to, trying to work on with um, these entry points and whatnot. So. so I think a lot of people, myself included, I mean, I work at Facebook and I still don't really know. I've worked on Messenger and I still don't even know. <laughs> You're designing bots. It's a conversational UI. Mm-hmm. Your goal is to start removing these layers of UI between the user and, and the goal they're trying to achieve. What are you doing? <laughs> what does the designer do? Well, I don't know if the goal is to remove. I was, um, was going to say, is the goal to like basically go from person to like uh, the buyer, sorry, to ERP system directly? Like bypass the human element of like customer interaction? Because it seems like you really could get that. Yeah. The space is that you're you're having conversations with people you care about already. Mm-hmm. And uh, rather than go download an app and all these things, um, you can just keep that going. But in, in designing for these things, it's totally different. And it was the same thing with M. Yeah. Uh, you're, not, you're not in pixels a lot. Yeah. Um, what does that look like? Uh, sometimes it looks like going into a quip doc and writing out. Quips uh, like a quips like quip a word, word doc collaborative Google doc type of thing. Yeah. We use it at Facebook. It's like Dropbox um, paper ish. Dropbox paper, yeah. Um, sometimes I just go in there and write out a conversation or uh, a flow or something, um, and share that with with uh, people. But then, um, then, how many conversational edge states do you have to like come up with? Yeah, there's all kinds of things. So you really start to see where the experience where the experience can go and what you can actually then build for based on on that 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 thing that you're mm-hmm. writing. And using using words is like really impactful uh, in design in general, I think. So yeah, it's it's interesting. Spell check your your, your mock-ups. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. That's Yeah, that's so it. I think that's part of it. I think there's a lot that comes with building a platform and that's certainly new for me. Um there's so much so much to that. There's oh, all kinds of stuff like policy and legal. And um, did you design the developer docs? And I did not design the developer docs. Um, They're pretty good. Yeah. I, I built the bot. Yeah. What'd yeah. you build? It's not complete. Brian's a little <laughs> hacker boy now. I can't talk about he it. He discovered though, CRUD right? APIs and now he just. No, just... this one's, this one's not CRUD dog. Got it's rest. Well, Yeah. It's Facebook off, so you log in. Are you using Passport? And then I can kick off a conversation, yeah. That's cool. And uh, more to come. That's awesome. Top secret shit. My PM, Seth, uh, built a bot. He has no coding experience. Built a simple bot in like a day. What did his bot do? It had something to do with emojis. It was just a fun, playful thing. But What's the, Seth's last name? Oh, Seth Rosenberg. He's cool. awesome. Um, but it's really interesting because, you know, if Seth can build this really fun, playful bot with no experience um, and, and do that. I'm, I'm excited to see how, how what we've built can empower um, all types of people to start, you know, creating these new experiences. So I have a couple of questions. Uh, what happens to M? Because it sounds like you're already kind of Sherlocking yourself. 
Sherlocking. Sherlocking. It, like when Apple takes a feature that a, a single developer made and like includes it in the actual like default API. So like not everyone had M, but now everyone has bots, right? Yes, I see what you say, what you're saying. So M was a really awesome project to both create cool experiences and to learn a lot from. Mm-hmm. And I think we learned a lot from M and I continue to learn from it. Is this a build your own bot to see if other people can build bots? Or like prep for other people to build bots? Well, I mean, so one of the things that we're trying to do with M as well is is to um, get better at AI. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that that team you know, announced at F8 this year was an API that uses a lot of the technology that M uses so that as a developer, you can make your bot smarter by training it with, um, with natural language. And um, it's really cool. There's really cool demos out there of that stuff. So I think it has a couple goals, but I learned a lot there when it came to how you set expectation uh, when you first get in that thread or as you continue to interact with, with a bot and um, all kinds of things um, that were super fascinating. As a designer working on that, that kind of thing, it's just a totally foreign space. And I found myself thinking a lot about framing and strategy and kind of understanding and identifying things that, that I can be most impactful on. And a lot of that came with like how we can design better experiences for training the people mm-hmm. behind M who in turn train the AI. And that's a really important part because, you know, they, they make up, you know, a core part of the experience. And if they do a really uh, good job, then the AI gets, gets a lot better. And so working as a designer in that space was really fascinating. It's more conceptual. It's a little more abstract than shipping a UI. You're shipping an actual experience. Like what does the experience look like to talk to an AI? And you don't really know if it's a human or computer on the other side. It's not. You don't all know. AI. It's not all AI. No. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when we were in Hawaii together at Epicurrence, you and I were sitting eating fish tacos and we were talking about M. And then literally like an hour later, I got invited to M. Oh yeah, I remember that. And that was awesome. There's this element where I felt M was listening I to Jeremy's <laughs> guilty about leaving M hanging when I would ask for something and then just like be like, eh, I don't really care about it anymore. Hmm. How does that translate to bots? And then if that's how people feel now and people learn that bots don't really matter. Do people get ruder as a result? You mean like you don't have to be nice to a bot? Yeah. Yeah. You don't I'm need actually really, the bot. really curious about that as well. I, yeah. If I can interject, I find myself being incredibly nice to M <laughs> because I, because you're a nice boy. TM. I'm a nice boy TM, but I assume that it's a human on the other side. Mm. So like, it's a human. pleases and thank yous. Yeah. Does that trajectory happen for all people or do you are have we gonna, to leave it like inconclusive? Like it might be a human on the other end. Uh, I don't know. Like, do you have to be nice to bots? Anyways, back to Brandon. Well, yes. Well, so, <laughs> but on that, like, so M is a, is a product of messenger. We mm-hmm. built it. Right. And so it was important to us that we have a certain uh, tone and identity associated with that thing. Mm-hmm. And so Content strategy spent a lot, a lot of time working uh, on on those types of things and how you interact with it, and it comes down to building a, a really cool relationship with M, and that in turn totally changes the types of things that you ask, which we found in our in our research studies, and the identity changes what you ask, the the gender M is is genderless, um, all those things have a huge impact um, in the types of types of things you ask. Uh, now with bots, developers and businesses have an opportunity to build their own personalities or um, set their own expectation expectations in new ways. And I think it's really interesting to see how how um, businesses will start to change their framing. Like when I got an email from Fandango about uh, a movie that I had just seen. There was like a, you know, a big button that said leave feedback and behind that button, you don't really know where you're going and it says leave feedback. You don't know what to expect. Feedback's very generic. It's very, it's yeah. So, but in, but as a bot, um, Fandango has an opportunity, um, to say like, how was your movie and provide calls to action stars that say like, it was great or I didn't like it so much, or I want to see more like it and stuff like that. And it's, and it's way more natural and you, you know what you're going to get. And then they can take that 
that they can take that experience from there and continue and they can write the, their content in a different way. Um, Do and, you allow for custom content, like maybe like a stars meter, like where you could like rate it stars we, in line? We have a, we have a, a handful of templates. Okay. Um, and that Would they have to use emoji. That that isn't one of them. Um, Damn it, Jeremy! Yeah. But um, we're, <laughs> what are you even doing two all seconds? Day, <laughs> well, it's important that we get feedback from people. So Can that you we maybe know. be good at your job for a minute? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I could. Uh, do we have to be nice to bots? Do we have to be nice to Jeremy? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it it'll be cool to see what how people talk with bots. It's such a weird thing, right? Because M M I sort of get it's this genderless thing. But it's positioned sort of as an assistant, so there, right. there's that, I guess, skeuomorphic aspect to it. It reminds me of James Bond, Emmett, which is between male and female all the time. Hmm, there you go. Uh, but now we're talking bot bots, which is company name, company logo, a mm-hmm. uh, little colder, a little further removed from any human element. Yeah. So can I just be a well dick to it? Like not. Uh, Maybe it's just want each to be? person. I don't know. Is it is it like a matter of convenience or like Saying, efficiency or something? Give me this instead of, hey, could you please look this up for me? So one of my favorite bots that we have is called Spring. It's a it's a shopping assistant. Uh Spring the app, right? Spring, Spring NYC or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um really great group of people who understand product really, really well. Their icons are so good. They're 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 just a fantastic group of people. And um they worked really closely. They came on campus. And um, what's cool about their experience is that their bot is mostly automated and it takes you through this, this shopping flow, um, gives you really great recommendations and you can see more like a, like a product. And then if you have a question about a product, it will then ping you over to their live concierge team, which is real people. And that person will have all the context from the thread and it makes their, their live support way more efficient and way more hmm. delightful and all these things. And so you're actually having a combination of of automation and real people like M. So developers so, can build these experiences. So you can be rude to a point. You just never know when it switches. Yeah. And so one of the design details that I really love Ooh, about, uh, damn it. about M, <laughs> <laughs> you guys knew you would get that, right? Um, I love it. I love it. What I love about M is that when you know that something is automated and when you know that it's human, it, it does change, like I said, the things that you ask and the, the way you think about it. And you don't have a lot of pieces to play with in this conversational interface. But one of the pieces that I played with was the typing indicators. So with M, when you send a message and we know that it's going to be automated, uh, what I designed was that we would count the number of characters in the automated message. And we would multiply the number of characters by a time coefficient. And we would use that amount of seconds with a min and a max to then show the typing indicators to simulate typing um, and to make it a little bit slower because we wanted to make sure that you didn't really feel like there was this handoff between people and AI. It's really cool because it it feels like something's typing. Um, And then when you send something back to it, it also reads the character characters in your message and simulates reading and it waits and then it sends the typing indicators. So it really feels like you're chatting and, and with a person slash AI and you don't know when that handoff is happening. And that's really important. This bot is wasting my time. Yeah, well, actually. It's technically wasting your time a little bit, but it's important to the user experience and the way that the way you think about it. So this bot is slow as fuck. It was really fun to fun to prototype too. <laughs> Leave a rating. This bot. Uh, Does that make sense? It, no, it makes sense. So the counterexample that comes to mind is the Quartz app, which tried a conversational news thing, yep. but it was the exact same chat length each time. And I I wrote about it in a blog <laughs> post. It's the same. What they do a fake typing indicator uh-huh. when they're going to send you a message. Oh, it's the but same it's the same delay, delay every single time, no matter the length of the message. So, yeah. so, so it was important that it and felt that breaks dynamic. the experience. Yeah. Uh, my question for you is: Is that is the need for that an intermediary step as people start using bots, and will that potentially, go away? potentially, yeah? I also think that not just in bots, but in general, that animation and delays and things like that should actually speed up over time but it's really hard to maintain and build. Well, people should too, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, if you're zipping around your phone, it should definitely react 
to how you're using it. Or, you know, the first time that you interact with something, maybe that animation or that delay, you really feel it and you notice it. But over time, you, f- you feel it and notice it a lot less um, rather than being static. Mm, I like that idea. I think... So oh, use heuristics to define the kind of delays and stuff? You, c- you can use like the velocity at which someone is using the interface. You can use time um, and just say like increase, you know, time at like 1%. Just don't get worse. <laughs> yeah, don't don't get worse or stay static, yeah. I like the idea of regressive design in that way where I think the only other example I can really think of is uh, having labels on tabs in navigation. Regressive design? Regressive. Where over time, the more you use it, the less UI. So over time, let's say this is the 100th time you've used the app. You oh, it removes you, itself. You don't need the labels anymore. Interesting, okay. I don't know many people doing that, but I've seen people thinking about it like so you're saying going from like labels to icons over time it's yeah, really hard yeah. to execute i was it. like are you talking about removing all the indicators or remove all the icons it's just a white screen and you have to there's you have to know where there's the tap targets four are. tabs and they're all black <laughs> yeah no borders Do no nothing you who even cares but it's sort of an interesting idea the better yeah. you get at something the less hand holding you need and yeah not yeah. many people are doing that that's hard. yeah it's really hard it's a lot of there's a lot of logic involved but it makes the experience incredibly personal, which is something that we're trying to do with bots. From a strategic level, talk to me a little bit about kind of what you and your team at the design level have have been doing being involved in strategy. What does at the design level mean? Uh, At the design title level. So designers on the team. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I love about our team uh, is that it's incredibly inclusive so it's not just design, it's um, research and data and content strategy. And I'm, sh- I'm sure uh, you've experienced the, sa- the same types of things, but it's, it's really inclusive. So um, design and all these other functions are really involved. And um, we, we even did like a, a design sprint in Seattle. We got a couple Airbnbs, but it wasn't just a group of designers. It, it was, um, you know, product marketing and data and research and all these, all these functions, um, getting in a room together, really understand our, our problems and our goals. And, uh, it's really cool because everyone, everyone's super smart that you're working with. Everyone has good ideas. And, um, we, we typically align on a vision and, and goals first, and then we work together on, on the strategy. And, once you've once you've done that initial set of work, only then I think can you go and execute on it. That way, you're all on the same page. The root of this question is more like, how do designers put themselves in a place where mm. they can define strategy? Yeah, uh, we hear a lot from people that are stuck at the execution level. Are we mm. on the seated at the table conversation already? <laughs> Uh, I don't think it's about that. Not not that, but for... Hmm. Isn't that literally what seat at the table means is having a so, say in strategy versus just execution? But I'm not... I, I get what you're saying, but I'm also saying like at a practical level, how can a designer be involved in strategy if they want to be? How yeah. How does the team have to work where that so, is I think it's possible? two things uh, off the top of my head, at least. One, it's that if you want to do that, like you have to be proactive about it. And if you want to do less execution, you know do like get out of sketch and like get involved in in other things and go on a whiteboard with a group of people and you know talk about that thing or whatever and in addition to that it's making sure that the culture you have on your team is really inclusive and if that's if both of those things are happening then then design and you know other roles will be more involved in those things what happens if you're proactive and you get ignored you have to keep going man Oh man, I can't even tell you how like how important it is to fight for that stuff. Yeah, really fight for what you believe in. I've definitely had a lot of moments where I, I had to do that. How um, did it work out? It works out typically pretty well. It can be you just have to be annoying. About it can it. it can be stressful. Yeah. It could mean sometimes working too much, which I've definitely done way too much of. It, but it doesn't have to be, and it means that like when you go into things that you know you're doing it with the best intentions, of course, but also like really putting your, your best foot forward and giving it everything you have. And I've probably said these like hot words a few times already, but 
I found that like really understanding what you're doing, uh, truly understanding what you're doing at a really deep level is super important. And then identifying the things that you can be most impactful on um, and, you know, aligning with your team and then going and doing that. And executing. Understand, identify, execute. Yeah, it's, this a great, is, it's just a great. It's the framework that I think when I first started at Facebook, you and I caught up and you said those words to me and it was, and I've heard it more on the messenger side of people saying that. Can you give me an actual example? Like, yes. Understand, identify, execute. What does that look like in practice? Yeah. I'll give you an example on M. Okay. Because M is this, it's this incredibly complex thing. You have a human component, an AI component. You have this tool that you're building for people to use um, that in turn trains AI. You have the product experience, the identity, setting expectations, all these things. And it, it can be a little overwhelming. Um, and I was the only designer uh, working on this for most of the time. So rather than just like trying to tackle one of those things, and start going into sketch and making stuff. I started to understand every component deeply. And um, that meant going in and I actually went through the onboarding that the the, the human trainers uh, went through as they got onto the team to then go use this tool that they were going to use um, and sat in these, in these like classes for about two weeks, really understanding what they were learning, the questions they had, how they interacted with the tool, stuff like that. Understanding uh, the tool itself and, um, you know, feedback from people and learning from others around the company. And I, dissected it into like a couple pillars around like the tool, the client experience, like iOS, Android, training of people, um, all these, all these different things. And then started to identify the most impactful thing that would drive our, our mission. And I found that it was training of people um, and, and the tools that we gave them. And so I started to spend as a designer now, most of my time there and then executed there. On the tools. On the tools, but also like in the experience of being onboarded. Mm -hmm. So conducted like a, a sprint for myself and a few other people on the team. And we whiteboarded and brainstormed like how we could best, you know, train these people and, and get them up and running in the most effective way. And when, you know, tough situations came in, like how you best handle them. And as a product designer, you're always thinking about the experience and, and you're doing that and you're also doing it trying to think about it for those people who are so critical to the experience um, as well. And it was just really fascinating to work in that space. And so that's where I think that model of understand, identify, execute really helped me in my process. Because if I didn't have, have that foundation, it would have been a lot harder to understand not only where to start, but how I was getting like the most value for my time. Cause we, I could have, you know, built stuff and like, made all, all kinds of stuff and prototyped, you know, client interactions and all these things. Um, but it wouldn't have been the best use of my time, especially because uh, resources were constrained. Because Facebook measures you on impact. That's, impact is important. That's the key word, right? Yeah. It's well, important. in this case, impact. <laughs> uh, you said the word sprint a few times. Yeah. Is that the GV model sprint or is that a messenger Facebook capital e. sprint or lowercase capital sprint. yeah capital S sprint we've done a few GV model sprints okay we have a, a designer on our team his name is Michael Leggett and he had worked at Google for about ten years and so he was very involved in those types of things and has brought some of that some of those insights onto our team and we we used that model in uh, Seattle when we did our sprint there about six months ago and um, we've done other sprints that were different totally different. Uh, we've had sprints that were kind of, you know, spur of the moment and just a bunch of people getting in the room together, but I find them to be pretty, pretty valuable usually as long as they're actionable and you have the resources post sprint to build and test the things that you, you came up with. Uh, is there anything that you changed from the GV model sprint that you found wasn't working for you or something that mm. the messenger team has found worked better? Good question. That model is pretty good. Um, the thing that is dangerous though in that model is trying to do too much with way too many people. So I wouldn't recommend that. Um, I think it's important to keep it pretty focused and to make sure that everyone going into the sprint understands 
exactly what you're kind of trying to achieve. Um, but going in with like, you know, pie in the sky stuff. And a lot of that, um, is, is not super, super impactful. So are you talking about scope creep in many cases, if it's, it's keeping it very focused, is that what you mean? I think it's keeping it focused. I think you can say like, what's messenger in the next six months to a year. And you can say like, here's what's important to us on messenger. But it's then it's like, okay, in the sprint, now we're going to focus on the two things that can can help us get there really well and not try and do a bunch of little ones. Mm-hmm. So who for you is involved in a sprint? You mentioned research, yep. content strategy, data. How do, is that too many people or is that like the perfect mix? What about product, VPs, leadership? Like yes. how do all these people fit in? They're, they're, they all fit in. Um, in that type of sprint, usually David, who's our VP, David Mark, David Marcus, will um, you know talk to us beforehand, give us his insights. We'll have like a kind of just a discussion about what we're about to do. That's really important, I think. And then following up post sprint and sharing that work with everyone in the team. In addition to the to the to the kind of roles that you mentioned, we also had marketing and comms with us as well, and to get their their insights, which is actually really cool. Um, and, and new for me. Uh, so that was, that was awesome. And we have really talented people on our team in that, in that area. That sounds like a lot of people. And I know that sometimes people come away from these sort of, to use a a bad word, like brainstorms. And there's this like hoorah attitude and everyone's like, oh yeah, yeah, we got the best idea. And then coming when it comes to execution, it sort of falls apart. So what we started doing more recently was condensing it down into pillars. So on Messenger, we have pillars for different different things. Um, my pillar is business and platform. There's other pillars around growth and whatnot. And we've been um, you know, doing sprints um, sometimes within those pillars to keep it smaller. And sometimes you take like three designers, one from you know, one of those pillars, and then like three PMs and like a couple other people. And it's three like three PMs? Yeah. Uh, in in that case, I think there's like there's different ways of going about it too. Sometimes PMs or other people might be involved in the beginning and ideation and goal setting and all that stuff, and at the end, and maybe in the middle, designers and and others are like kind of doing like that that IC uh, artifact based work. What I'm saying is that there are these moments in these sprints where people on your team are incredibly valuable. And even though they're like typically framed as design sprints, you're really just trying to solve a problem. As designers do. As designers do. One of the things that I've noticed having the chance to work a little bit with Messenger towards the end of last year is some of the ways you guys approach process a little bit differently. So in the past few months, I've been trying to sit in on a number of crits. So I have my own crit. I've been to a search crit, uh, newsfeed, and then Messenger. Uh, messenger crits feel different to me because like they feel very serious and very to the point goal oriented like there's a very good process to it could you just talk to me a little bit through what crit looks like on the messenger team yeah really good question the design crit on messenger has evolved over the last year yeah Um, it is very goal oriented which I think is important yeah because defining the goals up front are a really good way to frame like what you're trying to do and how you're trying to solve solve that thing. We'll start there. How do crits start? So, well, as of late, we've been changing it up and now we have crits uh, per pillar. And our Man, dis- you guys really like pillars. <laughs> Dude, pillars all over. Uh, yeah, no, I, I actually like it. Days. It keeps it focused. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. So now we have design crit for business and platform uh, as an example. And in that design crit, we invite mostly ICs, but engineers, uh, product managers, data research, like the whole, the whole thing. And it's design focused. It makes it so that everyone is like all on the same page and understanding something as we're building it. Um, but it is very goal oriented. And a lot of times we, you know, put our ideas and our mocks and our prototypes and whatnot into a deck so we can tell that story. And um, that's something that we do a lot on Messenger. Do you find the engineers and PMs actually show up or they're just invited? They do show up, 
And it's really important that if you show up to a meeting in general, that you're active in it. Yeah. Otherwise, it's typically a waste of time. Yeah. Um, so in addition, you know, to that, we also have, you know, on Fridays, a design crit for the designers of Messenger. And uh, Austin Bales, who is the design manager on Messenger, loves to start the the crits with like a, what was the best thing about your week, which I really love. And it kind of, you know, just rally the troops, rallies, rallies the team and uh, it's just a good moment. And then we, we ask like, who wants to share today? And we say, okay, I need 15 minutes or I need 20 minutes and write that down. And we just kind of go through it. And, um, it's, it's really cool. Um, I like it. So it's a very opt-in process. It's not a part of the actual like approval process or anything like that. It's if you want it, you can get help. Yeah. What happens if you never opt in? Well, it's definitely encouraged. Um, well, then if we, your work sucks, it's on you. We know, yeah. Um, as you scale a team and, you know, we're growing, so it's important to continue to evolve the process as well. And right. that's why we've been kind of moving moving back, moving into uh, pillar-centric uh, design crits. We also, of course, you know, we sit around each other. And uh, so we have a lot of, you know, ad hoc, you know, discussions and, and feedback. Um, so that that's helpful as well. Um, but we're trying all kinds of new things like seating arrangements and all kinds of stuff. Whoa. To, um, that granular? Yeah. Is anything working? Yeah, it's it's working really well. Like what specifically? So we're about to start sitting with uh, our like product manager and engineering manager that we work most closely with. We're going to start doing that. Because right now it's like just a pot it's of designers. It's a pot of designers, yeah. <laughs> what do you call a group of designers? Someone should come up with a funny name. A dazzle. Um, but that has its <laughs> own... That's what you call a group of zebras. I that was funny. <laughs> okay, that was good. Sitting with a group of designers has its own its own trade-offs. and Pros um, and cons. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how, how it works when we change up a bit. And it's important to, you know try things, but also kind of have the, the sense that if something isn't working to be okay with that and either go back or try something else. Um, so we have that mentality. So we're still not done with crit though. Well, so walk me yeah. through it. You've, you volunteer. Yeah. Okay? You volunteer to, yep. to show something. Yep. What do you do? What's the first thing you're presenting? How have you prepared? What are you presenting? How does yeah. that go? Uh, I think it's a little different for everyone, but I've started to see a trend where, for example, um, going with a deck. Um, of like a keynote. A keynote, yeah. And, um, you know, typically uh, I, I might have been thinking about the problem for uh, a week or two. And um, I usually like to start with um, the goal and the framing and the context and why uh, this thing might be important uh, or the important aspects of it. Maybe include a little bit of data. And explicitly call out what I'm looking for feedback on and what I'm not looking for feedback on. Right. And what you're not looking for feedback on is actually really important. And for the most part, I almost always say like, I'm not looking for visual feedback because it's just not the most impactful thing. What do you say when someone gives you visual I'm Jeremy and I'm well, perfectly fancy. My pixels are <laughs> perfect. <laughs> I'm not implying that. Um, but no, the, I think the team responds really well to that. And if we want to give that type of feedback, we usually give it in our pod mm -hmm. offline um, where it's just a different use of time. In, in your dazzle. Yeah. Are you just making pot of whales jokes? Yes. Is that what this is? Yes, dude. Okay. Yeah, I think like when we're all together, you know, in a meeting room, it's important to use that time really well and to get the feedback that is most valuable to you, to your project, to your team, to the product. And um, it's really important to set that expectation with, with your partners. Two questions. Based on personal observations from multiple crits, uh, first thing is you're presenting your work, you're walking people through it, and someone stops you halfway and they start giving feedback before you're done. How do you deal with those situations mm -hmm. where people kind of pile on and derail the conversation? A critical mess, if you will. Good question. Yes. Typically, the way I like to um, approach that is to answer their question as long as it doesn't take too long. But before we go dive into it, to say like, hey, there's more that I like to show. And I, and I actually might be getting to a section that answers your question more yeah. explicitly. Let's continue and come back to that. Because it is very easy, especially when you have a large group of people in a room to get derailed and sidetracked. 
It's easy to get flustered too if yeah, someone challenges right. something really quickly. So right. saying, hey, we'll come back to that because I actually ha- might have an answer for that. Yeah. yeah. I-, I like that strategy quite a bit. Yeah. How much prep do you put into a crit? Because in order to say, yeah, I'll, I'll follow up or I'll answer that in a minute because I answer it later on implies that you've put quite a bit of time and thought into this deck that you're presenting for one meeting, right? How do you balance the time it takes to prep for that versus the time of actually doing work? I don't think it's you work on the product as a designer or the problem, and then you build a deck. You're kind of already building that narrative as you do things. I like this topic a lot because what is the point of a mock-up if not communication like why do we even build these artifacts if not for communication sometimes i design in that style like i does i start in like the storytelling mode or the deck and then start to i get my framing and then this is going to go into magic move these are the assets i need for magic plug in the (laughs) the the mocks or prototypes yeah um and so then when i'm ready to you know share my my work I've already thought a lot about how I'm going to tell that story and how I'm framing it. It basically removes a lot of overhead that you typically have. And um, something that when I was uh, younger, I, I really didn't like doing. Um, I didn't like the the overhead of making decks and things. Um, I just wanted to like work in, you know, hate decks. <laughs> in like in sketch or after effects, whatever yeah. program. But I think it's really important. And uh, so I, I've seen a lot of, a lot of people on our team doing this more and we've been having really uh, rich conversations about our product and where we're taking it. How do you balance defending something because you believe it's right mm-hmm. with being defensive about your work? <sighs> yeah. That's this really is something I constantly uh, that's a good question. question. Am I saying like, no, I think this is a good reason? Yeah. Or am I saying, no, I think it's good because I thought it was a good reason? Because I designed it. Yeah. It's, I think in general, when you do things, it's not necessarily like the what, it's how. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to be considerate and um, understand your audience and be objective and not get emotionally attached to, Ooh, to a problem. Easier said than done. Well, super, super easy to say, very hard to do. Sometimes you might not be emotionally attached, but it's hard to dissociate yourself from that frame of mind that you've been working in, from that yeah. context. And you, you really have to change Being context. emotionally attached to something isn't a bad thing because that mm-hmm. often implies a lot of passion and whatnot. I've certainly had moments where I was... Um, too attached to something where the 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 way in which I expressed a certain sentiment um, might have rubbed someone the wrong way, and it's really important to take a step back and understand what happened and get feedback from from your peers and ask for that feedback constantly. What designers are never abrasive. It's um, fine. It's important though. So lately, I've j- I've been trying to slow down and really just work on my on my framing or my communication style and um, be really conscious of that. Uh, Because I think the way in which you say something is often more important than like what you're actually saying. I I totally agree. So we often think of ourselves as problem solvers and people who have to be discontented with everything. This leads to a lot of (laughs) being dicks. Everything has to be better than it is. We're great at that. But our job isn't so much problem solving as it is communicating proposed solutions to problems. Yep. Content strategy, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously. No, seriously yeah. Our job isn't just to like solve the problem to ourselves. We have to communicate it well to others. And this is such a hard thing. I like, uh, did you guys see BuzzFeed's new product design role? Caps thing. They like published their the criteria they have for product designers, the, the role. And then within it, they have, I think, IC1, 2, 3, and 4 and the responsibilities within each. And I, I haven't, I skimmed it, but there was mm-hmm. a section on each each level of quality of communication mm-hmm. and at the highest level. So I guess they're IC4. It's like you are a master of written and spoken communication. You know how to communicate ideas with clarity. And I love that that's in a product awesome. design position. Communication is especially important when you're working on a communication product. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but so it's really important for us to get that right. Is draw pictures to communicate things, right? Like I guess it's not all we do. I shouldn't say that, but like that's 
That's what people think of when they think of a designer is mock-ups. Yeah, but that's where it comes back to strategy, right? Like if you're really good at communicating, communicating a vision or whatever it is, you're going to start using words more than 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 pictures or things like that. So that's really, I think, that's a lot of what it is. And the problem is balancing that. Well, actually, it's not a problem. I think that the pictures and prototypes and mocks can be a crutch if you're not very good at the written stuff. Like a lot of times, uh, if you're a very good speaker, you can paint a picture so clear that everyone says, I get it. But that's really, really rare. So that's why we have prototypes to say, here's the vision and here's a demonstration of it to, to use those two in combination, right? Then there's also an element where you can out speak, I guess, your, your content. So you can oversell it. You can use nice words and convince people that it's right based on your words rather than based on the actual product oh itself. Oh my God, yes. You can be yeah, more yeah. con than pro. Con, yeah. Con, con, con man? Con man, yeah. Instead of professional. You can be an illusionist. You can paint this like dreamy, futuristic picture. Something reality that distortion really can't field. be built. Yeah, reality distortion. It's like knowing how far to go over that line, right? This whole argument for a direction is it's a really hard thing to scale because you can run into, into problems on both sides. It might not be the right solution and you might oversell the solution and get people to actually buy into it. And that's scary when someone's yes. bought into it and you're like, shit, I kind of made that up. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I convinced them of this terrible idea. Like, that's even worse. Uh, how do you do? How do you do this? How do you navigate that? I, well, I really admire my uh, design manager, Austin. He Bales. Is Austin Bales, yeah. He, um, he's very good at what he does super sharp and um, just has an insane way of communicating what he's trying to say so well. Spoken word or writing? Both. Both. Do you have an example of maybe something that sticks out in your mind? Um, he's very good. Uh, we, we used to have critiques um, where we would have cross-functional teams come in and talk about the things that they wanted to build inside Messenger. And Austin uh, was very good at really uh, synthesizing what someone was trying to do and directing them in the way that made the most sense for messenger and for what they were trying to accomplish. He it's like really an art to watch and to do it with like such elegance as well. Um, really incredible. So what about you, Bryn? I'm curious your own answer to your question about how do you know when you're defending because you designed it or you're defending because it's the right decision? This is something I constantly am concerned with. And how do you think about it? If it feels like it's going beyond explaining at all, I'll be like, okay, I'll come back to this. Or, okay, this is good feedback. I need to think about it for a minute. Like, you just have to take some time, honestly. So last Friday, uh, before our GitHub event, I was at Wayno doing a public critique with Anthony Smith, Dan Petty, and Carolyn Zhang. Zong. Carolyn Zong. Zong. Uh, we had issues with Wake where we could not get it to load. So I pulled up a sketch file and had them critique my work. I wasn't ready for it, so I didn't frame it well. That was one of the concerns. I was like, I just left it open. And they questioned a lot of foregone conclusions that I hadn't really thought about in a long time. That's great. But I was concerned that it's like, well, am I defending it because we already did it? Am I defending it because I care about it? Am I defending it because I think it's the right decision? So there's there's a lot of questions to be asked there to figure out whether or not you're just like, well, we already did it, so it's done. Or is it something we should just take the time and fix? Hmm. I think, and even, even inside of that, there's a balance of knowing how long to like flip back and forth between mm-hmm. subjective traits versus just ship it and fucking learn and see what happens, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you can't go too long. Well, that's one of the problems with startups too, is you're not you're looking for 10x changes, not 10% changes. Yeah. And that's what measurement is really good at is the smaller optimization yeah. stuff. Yeah. And it's a really hard question. Like, when can we measure something and actually use that data for value? Yeah. Right. Um, but I mean, there's also times where like you feel bad about a thing and you like know it's bad, but you can't change it. So you have to defend it for a minute. Politics. Uh, yeah. I usually just say, I know it's not ideal. Uh, but we're this far along in the roadmap. It's been built. We have to ship it and we can, can work on it later. But there's also team dynamics, right? So like if you're in a public critique or in a, in a large group critique, someone else did some work, you, you kind of, it's not up to you to change it. So you kind of have to let it go, right? Like, 
or defend it to to support that person. What's hard to do is to take something that might have already been been mostly done and mm-hmm. find the the small but mighty things that could actually Im- impact it in a really meaningful mm-hmm. way. That's that's also an art. Um, Part of that's showing work early, like not yep. waiting too long. Because if you wait too long yeah. and you it's these small things that someone says, yep. oh, that's going to fuck exactly. up your whole launch, then you yep. waited too long. There's also an element to saying, well, that's actually not going to affect the outcome in a way that matters to us. Like mm-hmm. this won't be a big enough change, but also like you could just let it go and let, be like, well, I'm not going to change it anyway because it doesn't matter. Like you can you can let some arguments go too, which is something I'm particularly terrible at. But uh, one of its a couple of things were like, well, the spacing here could be a little bit more even or whatever. Like, I think I had like eight and sixteen on either side of like a text box, and I was oh, like, oh, brand. Well, it's top and bottom. It didn't matter. Um, they're like, well, it could be a little dense here. I'm like, okay, but that's not going to be a ten x change for us. Like, if we've already got it built in any way, we'll just leave it. I think it's important for the process to be open and transparent that that way mm-hmm. you catch things you know before they become True. Uh, unscalable i've been talking a lot with uh someone on my team that critique is also it's not just about how good you are at at taking the feedback but it's also like how good you are at giving the feedback mm-hmm. uh communication people yeah but it's an it's an art to give feedback and it's an yep. art to take it and synthesize it and respond with hopefully a thoughtful close to objective reason for doing something synthesize yep. is such a funny word to me i know because it can I mean know. absorb but also build something artificially <laughs> there's also and it's also too close to synergy or something there's always people in the room who give feedback a lot more than others that are more vocal it's really important that everyone you know have their chance to say what they need to say and to you know if if you feel like you might be speaking too often to just sit back and listen. And, you know, it's a something that good design managers know to, you know, balance. This is something Dustin Sinos explained to me early on. Uh, one of my first experiences with the critique was working with Dustin a little bit. Uh, actually, while we were that in Hawaii awesome. at Epicurrence. He's, He's awesome. my hero. Uh, I was in a helicopter with him. Yes. I was freaking out. And he was like calm, having fun. Uh what a guy. He came to our <laughs> GitHub event guy. and I was just like, oh my God, Dustin's here. He's the best. But <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. He would have each uh, person present their work and then let the rest of the group take their time, write down their notes, and then let everyone go around the table and say their thing. Like he gave everyone time so there wouldn't be vocal members and people who didn't get a chance. It's a little more balanced. I thought that was really awesome. I think it's a very thoughtful way to approach it. Yeah, that's cool. How do you deal with a situation where you've gotten too much feedback or you've gotten conflicting feedback? Your design manager says, I really, really believe we should do something this way. And and the VP says, I really think we should do something this way. It doesn't hop- happen too often, but at the end of the day, if you're owning a project, you own the project. You got to make a and call. And you got to make a call. And being indecisive is, you know, can be fatal. So I think it's really important to, you know, put your stake in the ground, try something and move forward. When you're working with really smart people, um, it makes that easier. And um, sometimes you do something that might not have been the best thing, but you learn from it and you keep going. You either have to trust your reasoning or trust your gut. So would you rather trust like your gut or a lot of signal? Signal. Signal. Gut gut is a good use in case there isn't signal. In case of it's IDK. A, it's a replacement yeah. signal. Yeah. There are those rare moments though where you do feel like you need to trust your gut yeah. more than some of the signal you get. Especially in cases of things like trying to guess how people will feel about something rather than how they react to something. Mm-hmm. One of the things I came across at Shop Savvy a lot was when we would do user testing, we'd have user testing twice a week or something like that. We'd have people come into the office, three of them, uh, every Tuesday and Thursday. And people would come in and test something and be like, oh, I don't get it. And so they would tell us, I don't get it. But they would do the thing like we laid out for them instantly, first try. So they felt like they didn't get it, but they did. It's like, well, do you kind of counteract that feeling of doubt or do you actually like go with hey you fucking did it Hmm. like there's a lot of questions there that could even be more nuanced like how do you give someone feedback on a ui 
that they've done something well or they've completed something. How do you test someone's copy before it's out? Like, how? Do you, <laughs> yeah, I like this word better than that word. Like, that's an easy thing to like, yeah. nitpick. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back to critique. So I really like, uh, we've walked through this process. You've given context. You've framed the problem. You've said what you do want feedback on, what you don't. You've presented your thing. So at this point, you're getting feedback. Uh, as teams grow and change, you are working with a ton of people. Uh, how do you take feedback from someone who you don't really trust yet? whether that's because they're new to the team or you just haven't worked with them. Like there is a trust dynamic to yeah. giving and receiving feedback. Maybe you just don't like their style. That's it, yeah. perfectly valuable. It's a really good question and probably something that isn't talked enough about in yeah. our community. <laughs> it's kind of swept under the rug, honestly. It definitely is. It's a good question. Um, a couple things that I think you can do. A, build trust with that person more. <laughs> yeah. And truly be proactive about it. I think that's really important. And I think trust is one of the, one of the most important things on a team. Um, you know, the, the things that you build, um, you want to do them with people you care about. Um, and that makes better products. The other thing is having, you know, enough humility to really try and understand their perspective uh, truly and, and authentically. And then sometimes it's just noise and it's not yeah. the signal you're looking for. And because it's feedback, you can decide to filter it out. And um, see, that's where it gets really, really hard because it gets into like, is this, is this noise that I'm canceling because I don't agree with it and I'm just defending design, my design because it, it's mine? Or is it like ignoring the, that feedback for a legitimate reason? I think that you, I feel like you should probably only resort to that, that last thing if the first two steps did not end up working out. If you couldn't build trust. If you couldn't build trust and you couldn't, and even if you couldn't, um, if you didn't really listen to what that person was saying without that bias, because sometimes they're- <laughs> You're remarkably hard too. It's really hard, but sometimes you're working with someone who you might've had a bad experience with or don't trust, but sometimes they do say something really brilliant and you have to put that shit behind you and listen to the like content of- their rhetoric i.e be a professional be and a do your job and yeah. serve the users yeah. yeah that's right we're well over time man that went fast this was right that was awesome this was great is there anything you want to plug before you go ah we i mean we talked a lot about bots <laughs> you want to plug Bryn, Bryn isn't plug the biggest bots? fan of bot bots but Bryn, you should go build something no no, no. i'm just skeptical Okay. No, that's good. This is my role. Brian will like everything. That's that's who he is as a person. <laughs> no, I, I no, have no, to be no. at least a little bit skeptical for the both of us. Yeah. No, I think um, go. You know, play with these things and write out some conversations. And the API is pretty simple. So if you do some content know strategy, how, know how to do that coding stuff, then you can like you know use that. And, how to do that coding stuff? Um, it's actually really straightforward. It's very straightforward. If, if you don't know how to code, well, it's a REST actually, API. I shouldn't like say that. No JS and stuff. V RESTful. So yeah, go go play with that stuff and immerse yourself in uh, a totally different you know way of thinking and building. And people can find you on Twitter at the most confusing Twitter <sighs> handle ever. Yes, uh, Jeremy Goldberg without the E. At, at the, the end. end. At the end. There's yeah, a couple the, of the last ones. E. G O L D. Jeremy G Tech was much easier. I just want to say that. But fuck that handle. It was so <laughs> old. All right. Well, link to your actual Twitter <laughs> in the show notes. In the show notes. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks guys. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. I'm definitely using the term dazzle for a group of designers from now on. That's happening. So, like, Mark Otto, lead designer at GitHub. Now, now lead dazzler. Lead dazzler. Design director is a very boring term. Dazzler. Lead dazzler is that's actually so brilliant. Great. I want to start spreading. I love movement. it. I want to spread this movement. Well, good because this is the outro. So, I was changing my Twitter bio. <laughs> From what? Nice boy, trademarked. Dazzler at Facebook. Design details FM. Spec FM. Previously, Buffer. Previously dazzling at Buffer. <laughs> <laughs> Previous. <laughs> My previous dazzling experiences were. You didn't want to say Dazzler L2? Dazzler what? L2, isn't that what it's called? Dazzler L2. Oh. <laughs> what my level is. I'm a. Intern. <laughs> dazzling intern. I'm a level two Dazzler. Got a promotion. Is that a D&D class? 
<laughs> okay, everyone just start calling designers dazzlers. This is It'll amazing. be great. And we can stop arguing should designers code and start saying should, <laughs> should dazzler code. <laughs> it makes it all more fun. And then we all get a hoot out of the dumb question. Oh, God. It's the best. Sorry. Not a dumb question. It's a dumb question. Uh, the before uns- we go. The unspecific We question. dazzlers would like to thank our wonderful sponsors. Sponsors. <laughs> sponsors. <laughs> First up, Dropbox. Dropbox makes dazzling super easy wherever you go. You can dazzle the way you want on any file with any dazzling device from wherever you are and with any dazzler you choose. So you can fill the world with more dazzling things. Go get started at dropbox.com. Thanks once again to Dropbox. And huge thanks to FreshBooks making all the freelance dazzlers out there uh, more efficient, better at keeping track of time, expenses, so you can spend more time dazzling your clients. It's an amazing tool can't recommend them enough go to freshbooks.com slash design details tell them that design dazzlers sent you can, can we change it to dazzle details dazzle details dazzle details sent you and you get a free 30 days uh of freshbooks again freshbooks.com slash design details thank you once again to freshbooks and we'll see you on another wednesday dazzle episode keep dazzling Keep keep dazzling. Keep dazzling. Keep them dazzled. (laughs) Dazzle on, my friends. I love it.